This season, turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth, trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be all right. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to his throne. Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 440. I've got a feeling about this episode. My name is Caleb Hag. I got a feeling. Uh-oh. I'm got, up. We got... Rob is is, uh, is frozen on my... There we go. There we go. All right. Well... That was my... That was a visual effect I intended. Yes. I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, the feeling that I have... For this episode, not a good one. It's not a good one. Um, I'll just let, I'll lay it all out there in the beginning. Um, the reason it's not a good one is simply because I just you know every once in a while we have dynamite shows. I feel like we had a dynamite show like two or three episodes ago. Not today, man. I I, I feel like I feel like it's it's gonna be dead. It's gonna be a dead show. But you know what? Sometimes when I feel that feeling. They're the best shows we have. 
So let's hope for the latter. We got people trickling in into the chat room. I want to welcome everybody there. Thank you to our producers and uh, yeah, everybody in the chat room. Man, you keep freezing. What's going on? There we are. There we are. We got you. We got you. All right. We're going to try to keep you moving instead of frozen. All right. Uh, how you been, Rob? What's been going on, man? What's what's life been like? I am so thankful. Uh, our air has freshened up last night and today. I was able to go out and mow the lawn this morning because we've been hit with hazardous level. Because sadly, you know, hundreds of homes lost in our area due to horrible fires. They think arson might be uh, there was an arsonist perhaps behind some of this damage. So, and so wait, I, I actually I, got a call. I got a call yesterday from someone who asked me. If you were in, uh, you or I were any in any immediate danger because of the fires. Now wow, I said cool. no. That awesome. Thanks for your concern. Somebody else emailed me about three or four days ago and said, "Are you in any danger because of the fires?" I said, "I have no clue what you're talking about. I didn't even know there were fires around here." Mm -hmm. So talk to me. I, I said no because you're in the middle of a city, and so am I. But you're yeah, not well, it, uh, correct. I mean, I'm in a, in a suburb kind of thing, so not surrounded by big trees, you know, like the people out in the outskirts and people who have like small, you know, homesteads or, you know, that uh, small couple acres where they've got a lot of trees. Um, it's really been great. You know, my wife has been following a lot of this. She says that there's people that have opened up their land to to hold animals that are stray, like, you know, horses and, you know, uh, and I thought that's awesome. Um, so we're seeing community come together to aid, but the devastation is pretty, pretty horrible. And, and the air, of course, we were in hazardous levels of that, uh, that air quality index. We were over 400, I think on Sunday. Yeah. We were at like 200, 250. So we're talking, yeah, nasty. And I, uh, I tell you what, try uh, try rolling around and aggressively hugging people when the air is like that. It's uh, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. All right. Well, I'm glad you're all right. And uh, yeah, prayers for everybody out there who's uh, who's having to deal with all of it. Uh, looks like we got a small but uh, strong showing in the chat room, and I'd like to welcome everyone there. I don't know what happened to my chat room, but all of a sudden my font looks way different, which is fine. Check this out, Rob. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. uh, look, at, look at what I got well, for I you. Well, I don't know. My boy's wicked smart. Did you hear that? I'll play it again so everybody can oh. prepare. Ready? Here you go. Oh, sorry. My boy's wicked smart. Did you hear that? No, it's I, hard because there's so much background noise, but it's my boy's wicked smart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I remember uh, you said you were going to try to get that, pull that. I got, well, I got to clean it up. I got to clean it up, but we I, need tech, I got. Yeah, we need to, to do the yeah. magic EQ and whatnot. All right. Let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. Um, so we're looking at, got a couple of new conversations going on here. This one, an email, an email from Nicholas. Oh, by the way, before we jump into that, let's do this. Uh, if you want to send us an email, see HagatorResource.com. You can also shoot us a message on our comment line. It's an answering machine. You won't talk to us. 253-465-3205. And uh, of course, this show is produced. Oh, wait. Well, sorry. I'm jumping the gun. You want uh, past episodes, listen to our uh, our theme song, read the words, or get uh, merch, rep the Messiah Matters merch, uh, messiahmatters.com. Now, 
TorahResource.com produces this show. Go to Torah Resource for all of your needs. And uh, yeah, let me turn myself up just a little bit here. Okay, and uh, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of great stuff on that site. I'm in awe every time that I go back to, uh, I'm doing work on the site right now, and uh, th there's just so much. There, there is. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be building up the, uh, the articles as well, and so it's, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be even better. Okay, and last but not least, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. I know it sounds weird, but it really does help us. Okay, here we go. Nicholas writes in, he has, this is a longer message. We'll read the whole thing. Why not? He says, I have a question regarding tefillin. Let's stop. Pause, pause, pause. Um, for those who might not know what tefillin is, tefillin is the little box you might see um, in Judaism or Jewish people wearing, Orthodox Jews particularly, like in morning prayers, they have a box on their head, they have a box on their arm, and that is called tefillin. It comes from the command, well, it comes from several different places in the Torah, but uh, ultimately in, in Deuteronomy 6, it says you shall uh, bind these, talking of the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall bind these commandments on your between your eyes and on your hand, and they, show, they should be to, to feel them between your eyes and on your hands, right? And so this is where the command comes from. Now, we've had this debate on this show before, as we have most topics that we talk about. And um, we have debated whether or not <clears throat> this is a literal or a non-literal command. In other words, is it a metaphor that we're supposed to have the commandments of God in us or that we're supposed to walk them out? Or is it a physical command to have this box on, in, in between your eyes and, and on your arm? There is a lot that could be said about tefillin. Yeshua himself actually does reference tefillin. In regards to the Pharisees, when he says that they make their tzitzit long, right, big and long, and their phylacteries or their tefillin, they make big, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, to, to, to show off how righteous they are. Um, interestingly, Yeshua doesn't say, stop wearing tefillin. This is not a metaphor, you know, it's a metaphor. It's not something physical, um, nothing like that. He just makes a passing comment about tefillin. Okay, so, um, well, let's explain just a little bit more. For those who are unaware of tefillin, inside traditional Orthodox Jewish tefillin are several passages of scripture. I haven't done the research this morning to tell you exactly what they are. Maybe Rob knows off the top of his head. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following is in there. Um, there's other passages as well that are in there as well. Um, but so that's in the box here and here, right? And so it's just passages of scripture which are in the tefillin boxes. And they have, uh, they certainly do date back to the time of Yeshua. Not, we don't just know this because of the reference that Yeshua makes. We know this because tefillin have been found in uh, archaeological digs, I think particularly at Qumran, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that, but I think that there was tefillin found at Qumran. Okay, anything else that you want to say about tefillin before we go on with the question about tefillin? Oh, no, you're right. You're right that uh, we... Our, our oldest extant tefillin are from Qumran. And you can find images online. There's a lot of pictures of the actual things. They don't look anything like well, yeah, exactly. the, the, the like wedding cake kind of. Keep talking, you know, keep talking. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm talking to <laughs> Caleb. You're not there, but I know you can hear. Um, they don't look like the. The big black, you know, square wedding cake type of thing that 
that has now become the rabbinic uh, kind of brand. So the rabbis branded something that was more prevalent than the Pharisaic world, even if it came among, I don't know that, I, I don't believe all the Pharisees or even all early rabbis um, wore the tefillin. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think let's, over time let's it became a brand right. and it became a similar to how other traditions, you didn't wash your hands correctly, you know, this kind of thing. We fast on these two days a week, et cetera. It became a part of the sign that you belong to that group. Right. That you were an insider. Yeah. But it, I earlier, was circumcised but the by these people. From, and, they, and they were <laughs> differentiated not only by how they were made, but the contents. Right? right. I think there's, because uh, we have, I don't know if there's how many different tefillin examples. And ex again, calling them tefillin reflects the rabbinic brand. Because that the, the as far as we know, we don't have any evidence that at Qumran, they called them tefillin. It's from tefillah, which is prayer. And it means prayers. It's Aramaic plural for prayers. Um, tefillah is a biblical word for prayer. But they, it, at Qumran, they they contained the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, were part were included. Fitting, by the way, fitting. By the way, yeah. But the rabbinic uh, brand called tefillin does not have the Ten Words, and that's that is like if you you can't be in an Orthodox Jewish community today or any time from the Talmud, and if you had if you had Ten, if you had the scribe, okay, the sofer write you the Ten Commandments and put them in your tefillin, they would not be kosher. Right, exactly. They, yeah. they, they, because they have to be, everything has to be made according to the brand, right? Because you re, when you take that on, then you become a representative of the insider group. It's just like jujitsu, man. It is. It is. If you go to a Gracie Atos. gym, yeah. If, well, if, no. See now, okay. If you go to, if you go, to, different gyms have different, uh, different uh, rules about this. But if you go to a Gracie gym, you have to have Gracie patches. You have to have Gracie. You know everything. Everything has to be really? br branded Gracie. Oh yeah. And in some Gracie gyms, if you come in with a different patch on your on your back. Like autos or something like that. That's not gonna. You you can't do that. You can't get on the mats with that. Now that's that's they few floor and far you between. at the door. <laughs> right. You're going whereas, down. Where, <laughs> dude, whereas, Caleb, I'm telling you, man. Someday you're gonna write a book that is gonna be. You're gonna use. You're gonna be able to use all this as an analogy for oh, understanding it's, Jewish it's pretty, sectarianism. It's pretty, in pretty interesting how much it it, uh, it crosses over. But at, at gyms like my gym, autos, right? They want you to be, they want you to have the brand, but it's not required unless you comp. You only have to have the brand when you're in competition so that sure, people that, can see that's that. understandable because those are, that, and, and that, that's the sporting domain, right? When you're right. talking about religion, it's not sporting. It's like they're actually at war with each other. Like, like right. you know, the Pharisees are saying, we are right, you Sadducees are wrong, right? I mean, it's like, there's no, we're not going to like, we're not going to compete and see who wins. You know, it's not that kind of thing. Whereas so in the I, sporting I, world. I've, the reason I stepped away earlier was because I realized I have a set of tefillin here. So I will, for those who don't know and can see this, these are traditional modern day tefillin, right? This one goes on the head. It's got this box on it. This thing comes off. This is, 
there you go. So it's got these different compartments with the different scrolls in it. These are kosher from Israel, right? Not that that makes any difference to me. I don't care. In fact, I've actually thought about having my kids make their own tefillin with like the Lord's Prayer in it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And to me, that would be totally fine. There's no reason why you wouldn't be able to use those. To Orthodox Jews, that would not that would not work, right? As as Rob already said, right. you, it wouldn't work with the brand of the person who who circumcised you or the family for that matter. Right. right. Okay. So I take I but I do take it as because it, it the the passages is like in Deuteronomy six, you will bind them as a, an oat, a sign on your hand, and they will be as totafot uh between your eyes, benenecha. And so I take that to be metaphoric. It's a, it is a picture similar to where the same, you know, Deuteronomy says, circumcise your heart, right? This is the language of prioritizing. It's using poetic language to, uh, in many different ways to say, this is the most important thing. Yeah, okay, this has so to be priority in your life. You know, that's I'm, I'm, that's the core point. Because if someone someone could physically wear the tefillin, and that doesn't mean they're saved. That's not a sign. What is it a sign of? You know, what is it what is it a sign of? They could say, Oh, it's between me and God. It's like, okay. Okay, you know. Uh I I I don't think there's a for believers who want to uh wear tefillin. If you want to wear rabbinic tefillin. That's fine. That's fine. If um, if if you're doing it outside of an observant Orthodox Jewish community, then it's like you know you're kind of picking and choosing your religion. If, well, okay, hang on, hang on like, just a second. If you're building your own, like you're talking about, I think that's awesome. I think that is the coolest idea. And I've known people you're, you're, to, who do that, who they make you're jumping and they ahead, make it though. out of leather, and they make you know. You're jumping ahead though. Let's let's, okay, let's okay. pull back for a second. I want to I want to hit all the points that you made, and I want you to expand on them. Um, but we should say that within Orthodox Judaism today, most sects—not all, but most sects—only allow a person to wear tefillin in the morning, right? <clears throat> in the daytime, you're not allowed to, and so during prayer time, not and and not on Shabbat, for example, <clears throat> and not on Shabbat because Shabbat is its own sign, right? Shabbat right. is it. it yeah, you can't mix the signs around, according to Judaism. Okay, let's go back to Nicholas, because he's going to get into all this as well. So let's listen to what he has to say. I have a question regarding tefillin. I see that amongst Messianics, one Torah, etc., that we agree on zitzit being a commandment, something we ought to wear. But I was wondering if the same applies to tefillin. What's the history of the tefillin we see in use today? So I think we've already pretty much covered that. Um and I don't know if we need to go further into that. Considering passages from Deuteronomy 6, 8, Matthew 23, they're obviously something referred to in Scripture, but why do we not talk about them as much? Do we take this to refer to something spiritual rather than physical, as in with tzitzit, but that seems too easy a way out? What do you and Rob think? I'm especially interested whether you think a believer should uh, go along and bind tefillin with a Jew who invited him. I'm asking from experience. And so now we can jump into where Rob was at, but uh, what he's talking about, binding tefillin with a Jew who uh, asks for that, this is particularly, uh, if you go to Israel or particularly in certain parts of America, you'll see certain um, Jews and sects such as um, 
the Kabad, for instance, they believe, there are certain sects that believe once every Jewish male in a generation binds to Phelan, the Messiah will come. And so it's almost a superstitious, like, hey, let's get every, so, so the, they'll just bind to Phelan, and I've had this happen to me, right? Had a Jew come up to me, say, hey, are you Jewish? I said, well, there's some deb debate on, and he, okay, whatever. So he, he puts tefillin on me real quick, wraps it up, right? Puts it on my head. He says, say this, hands me a little card, you know, and it's the, it's the Shema. And so I, I recite the Shema and he says, Do you Thank accept you. Jesus as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> yes. <laughs> say this prayer. Yeah, exactly. Jesus exactly. coming to my heart. Okay. You're in. Next. And then, and then he, then he pulls on the thing and it just, and it's off me as, as fast as it was on me. Right. I mean, even faster. And he moves on to the next person. Right. So this is what he means, but this is what, who was yeah, it? I, I, Nich uh, Nicholas. Dear friend yeah. of mine who is Jewish was in Manhattan, a Messianic believer walking down the street. And he, I think he might've used the word accosted right. by, by yeah. Lubavitchers who physically grabbed him. And he said it was, you know. It was kind of terrifying, you know, an experience. Like those guys aren't messing around. I mean, they're not. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, they're on a mission, and that mission is to bind to feel on every Jew in a generation. So, well, anyway, I, I know I cut you off, and I and I apologize for that. Let's talk though about what you were talking about. So, you think the best thing to do? So, I agree with you. I actually think that the commands, and we see this, we see a parallel to this. Uh, Satan takes a parallel to this, right? The mark of the beast is on on the hand and the forehead. I think that both of these. Now we get we get emails probably at least twice, three times a month, of people asking us what is the mark of the beast, or do you think that? So when COVID was going on, everybody was saying, "Oh yeah, the mark of the beast is COVID, or it's the vaccine. If you take the vaccine, you've taken the, you know." I'm sorry, folks, this is not the case. No, no believer is going to accidentally take on the mark of the beast. That's not how it works. You take on the mark of the beast because you are a follower. Because uh, you're, you're not, worshiping it. You're, you're right. not worshiping Yeshua. I mean, it's like, so, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't kind of chuckle but, at it. I mean, because it, it's... I personally it's, it's don't, I, I don't think that we're, I don't know if we're going to see an actual physical... Every time I say this, people, it's like people come with the pitchforks. I don't think we're going to necessarily see a physical mark, like a physical barcode on people's hands and forehead for the mark of the beast. And the reason why is because just like the feeling, I think that this is a metaphor. The metaphor of what a person has in their head, in their mind, is how they think and how they, their emotions, right? According to the Jewish uh, understanding of, of the body, that the emotions were up here in the head. The hand is, is what you do in life. It's how you, it's your work and it's the, it's the actions that you take. And so to say that something is on your forehead and on your hand means that it encompasses who you are. It's, it is who you are. You have, you have, uh, bowed the knee to whatever it is. It is your master, your ruler. And so right. everyone is looking for the mark of the beast to be a physical, and it could be, it certainly could be, to, to be a physical mark that's, that everybody's going to don. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that instead what's going to happen is it's just going to be that you have, you've given your allegiance, your life over to a thing. And you either have God as, as the creator and the master of your life. And this is represented by the way you walk out, by the way you think, by the way you, your life is. And then 
You have people who are going to take the mark of the beast who their life is, is characterized by the beast, right? By the antichrist. And so this is what I think these marks are now is back to, to Rob's. So I agree with you on that. Is it wrong for a person to bind to feeling? No, no. Oh, sorry. Are you asking me? Well, I think both of us. I think, I think Nicholas is asking both of us. No, I don't think it's wrong. No, no. And if, if you have a friend who says, Hey, come, let's pray together and, and you know, go for it. You know, um, I, I, it reminds me to go back also because we have the word totafot, right? Which is the word usually translated. I think if you look at the Aramaic Targums, I, I would imagine, I don't remember for sure, where it says totafot, um, that probably is Aramaic to fill in. I have my accordance up right now. I can find that out before the end of our show. But I wanted to remind ourselves that the very first occurrence of the idea of the phylacteries is is not with the word totafot, it's with the word zikaron, memorial. And it's talking, it's in Exodus 13, verse right. 9. Now, later in Exodus 13, we do see totafot, <clears throat> but it, it's talking about keeping the Pesach in the first month and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Chag HaMatzot, remembering how Adonai brought us out of Egypt, about teaching your children. And then it says, verse 9, V'haya lecha, it will be for you, le'ot al yadcha, that's a, a, an ot, a sign on your hand, will zikaron bein enecha, and a memorial between your eyes. So it's the same phrase with totafot, but it just says memorial, in, in order that the Torah of the Lord will be in your mouth. So that's the point. It's a, it's, it is a memorial to put God's word first, and it is connecting to the observance, the memorial of the Exodus, which is crucial, right? I mean, and the it's tied to Shabbat too, because, you know, Shabbat, we remember that we live in a created world, right? According to that there's a creator and that we're made in God's image. And we remember redemption, right? It, the Ten Commandments teach us to remember both those things on Shabbat, the creation and the deliverance from Egypt, which of course has its significance only as we remember the Abrahamic covenant and the promise that that you be a blessing, right? That's Abraham, you be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And we know that Yeshua is the seed, as as Paul nails down so so pointedly, um, in your seed all the nations will be blessed, and that seed is Christ. And um, and it's by the gift of faith in Messiah that we are all united as heirs, right? He says, if you if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's children. You are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. And so the Bible is full. I mean, time and time again, I mean, they ask Yeshua, what's the greatest commandment? He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. He goes right right to Deuteronomy 6. And right. that what the, the importance of the great of that commandment was not lost on other Jews at the time, because we know that the, the Shema was in the Tefillin. But the, the point is this, what, what good does it do for a person to wear tefillin, but not, not know what the scriptures are inside yeah, of it. And, is that like talk, magic? And, and Paul talks about this, right? One is a Jew who is a Jew inwardly, not outwardly, right? So, I mean, the, the point is, is that if you don't have 
a relationship with God, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then, it, then it's all for naught. The thing, here's, uh, the, the last thing I'll say about the tefillin is this. <clears throat> I've not looked into the right, the kosher writing of the scrolls within tefillin, but I know that within the kosher writing of the, uh, of the mezuzah scroll, they change one letter. Now there was a huge debate of this and you can read all about this in, uh, the encyclopedia Judaica, I believe. Um, but, but there's, um, there was a whole, uh, controversy over whether or not, because the Baal Shems in the 17th and 18th century, what they did was they, um, they were the, called the masters of the name, right? And they would, they would uh, switch the letters of the name. They would chant the name in different ways and whatnot, the sacred name of God. And they would essentially do magic with it. Okay. And so there was a, a very large debate on whether or not that was acceptable to do within the scrolls of the of of the uh, mezuzah, and I think the tefillin as well, but I'm not certain on that. And so, ultimately, the Orthodox, not the mystics, but the Orthodox, won out and said, "No, you can't change. You know, you can't change the sacred scriptures." However, when I looked at this, and this was not long ago, this is maybe four or five months ago, I looked at this. Um, and I did a bunch of research into whether or not the scrolls in the, in the mezuzah were changed or not. And there's one letter that remains changed and they do that for mystical purposes. And because of that, I went through my entire house, took all of the scrolls out of my mezuzahs and put English, uh, passages. Remind me, what is the, what is it they change? I don't remember that. They change one letter and I think it's in, it's to, to make a phrase different. So it makes one phrase into a different phrase and it's, yeah, it's for one. protection. They believe that the, the mystics believe it's for protection over the home. So I went, I took all of the kosher scrolls out of my mezuzahs and I, I asked my kids what passage. Well, is it the shin? There's a shin where they added a, a fourth no, it's not that. I don't oh, think it's that. Okay. They actually okay. change. They actually change a letter. But the the point is the point is this: is that I asked my kids what passage do, would you like to remember, and so everybody got to choose their own, you know, their own passage, and we put those in the mezuzahs. I would argue that if you, if, and I don't think this is the case, but if the scrolls have been changed in the tefillin, then that's when I would say, okay, now we we need to see what what the changes are. Why are they changing passages? In other words, if there is mystical belief that in some way, shape, or form, binding to feelin is going to protect you, or that binding to feelin is going to make you right in God's eyes, then we have a problem. That's where all of a sudden we have a problem. Um, but I don't. But I'm with Rob. I don't think that I don't think that there's anything wrong with binding to feelin, or even traditional to feelin. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, um, as long as the heart's right. Right. Interesting. I looked up Targum Jonathan on Exodus 13 and verse 16, um, it's interesting. It, it adds the word left hand, right? Because it, the scriptures is just be on your hand, right? They add the word left, but then for the word totifot, they do have to feeling. Hmm. Um, so there you go. So, so that's the origin of the word um, to fill in is the Aramaic translation of totifot. And uh, yeah. So, let's shift, so let's shift gears. It. Let's shift gears. Um, let's, and to shift gears, let's give you this for chagatorresource.com. Send your uh, emails there. Leave your voicemails, 253-465-3205 and subscribe to this YouTube channel. Okay, so here we go. John wrote a comment on one of our clipped shows 
And this is what he says. In quotes, he says, Gentiles don't have to convert. I'm guessing that this is something that we said. Because he says, Gentiles don't have to convert, you say. To what? Judaism or faith in Messiah? I found it very confusing to follow. I'm sure I'm not, th- not alone. Maybe that's your way to, ha- to have us go seek out the commentary and videos. Pretty sharp. That's not our way of saying that, but uh, I, I think that a lot of the time what happens in our videos is people only watch the short part. They don't watch the entire episode. So you're getting five minutes out of an hour-long conversation. Um, and so let's clarify for John here. To convert in the first century meant to, uh, meant to come into a sect of a Judaism, one of the Judaisms of the first century. And so if I'm going to become circumcised, circumcision was, in, in my view, circumcision was a shorthand for the term to convert. And when you converted, you did convert to Judaism, but you converted to a sect of Judaism. So it might be the first, uh, you know, the first Baptist Pharisees of the land, or you, know, you get what I'm saying, right? Like there's all these different denominations, essentially, of Judaisms in the first century. Each denomination said, if you're not part of our denomination, you're not in. So come get circumcised by us. Come convert to our brain of Judaism. Now, to convert in our modern sense to Christianity or something like this, okay, none of that, in my opinion, matters when it comes to a formal conversion. In other words, I don't need to go to a church and have them baptize me. If you're part, if you're part of the if you're part of the Baptist church, and then all of a sudden you convert to Catholicism, they're going to rebaptize you because, in their view, uh, you know, being baptized in the Baptist church wasn't good enough. It's not gonna it's not gonna work for you to be baptized. Well, I reject all of that. What I think a, a true conversion is is when the is when the the Holy Spirit changes your heart to follow Christ and to follow God, and you can. Convert your mind and your heart and your soul to allegiance to Christ, to allegiance to God, right? Once this happens, you have converted no matter what any religion, no matter what any denomination, any faith center says. It's, and we know this from Paul's writings in Galatians. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so the point here is that, yes, if you convert in, in terms of if you give full allegiance to God, that's the conver- that's the only conversion you need. Right. You don't need a conversion yeah. anywhere else. And that's our point is you don't need to convert to Judaism, Messianic Judaism, you know, Catholicism, Baptists, Lutheran, Methodist, you don't have to do any of that. Uh, what you have to do is you have to give full allegiance to Christ. That's the point. Rob? Yeah, a, 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 a word that I think, because we have to remember, there's no word conversion, obviously, uh, in the Bible. But there is repentance. Right. So like after, remember Acts 10, Peter has his vision, et cetera. The spirit kicks him in the rear to go up to see Cornelius, <laughs> right. um, et cetera. Then, then all of a sudden the, he comes back to hang out with believers that are uh, Jewish. And they're like, what the heck are you doing, man? Why are you going to Gentiles? Right. Because they're, remember, I mean... It, we all have learning curves, right? I mean, Peter himself had a long learning curve. He, you know, Yeshua had to, you know, said it to him straight a couple times and it, uh, it, he finally caught on. But Acts eleven eighteen, after Peter explains to them what had happened, they're like, oh, uh, 11, 18, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. 
Right. So for me, what if we're going to say what is biblical conversion in in what I would say is the best definition, I would say Acts 11:18, the where God grants someone repentance that leads to life and the word also there is important because what they're recognizing, what the Jewish apostles are recognizing right there, and we see that also again in Acts 15, is that Jews and Gentiles have to have this conversion. So it doesn't matter. You could be a card-carrying member of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or whatever. That don't help you. You still need to be converted to Messiah, and that is encapsulated repentance that leads to life. And that's what John the Baptist was preaching. That's what Yeshua says, repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. That's it. That's um, right. And if you're a Pharisee and you don't repent and believe the gospel, you could be as Jewish as, uh, you know, Mel Brooks. Could be, you could be Gamliel <laughs> himself. It's not going to make a bit of difference. Okay. Um, and, and I should that there were groups that said there is no way to become a Jew in the right. first century too. So not it's uh, we could say that different groups offer different ways, maybe for different pathways for a gear or, you know, to become some sort of recognized member of the community, having, you know, uh, become one of them. But there are other groups that no, you can't do that. There, there's a, there is an internal difference between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles have no part of the covenant. And you know what, if you weren't born into Israel sucks to be you, right? Because it sucks to be you. You know, the wrath of God is on you because we're covenant people. We are the true children of Abraham. You're not. See you later. I don't I don't need to talk to you anymore because, you know, there's not no future for our relate for us to have a relationship. Okay. Let's we're gonna move on again, but before we do I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions, really, because we have the most rules and the best clothes. Okay, I want to move to, this is a uh, comment, so uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I did a show solo, and I looked at R.L. Solberg's um, <laughs> video, awful video, honestly, on um, on the Sabbath in the New Testament, which was a minute long and just bad. Anyway, uh, Cody writes in and he says this, and this is an interesting take. And this is a this is a common take, by the way. I would say that this is this is not just Solberg. This is this is ninety five percent, if not more, ninety nine percent of Christendom, and and anyone, even even Messianics and Hebrew rooters, oftentimes take this view. And this is the view. This is what Cody says. Solberg claimed in another video that because the Levitical priesthood, which is in the which is in the law, passed away, therefore. All of it is fulfilled. Okay, so in other words, Solberg is claiming, as much of Christendom does, that since the Levitical priesthood has has been uh, has been, been done away with, that uh, the rest of the Torah has been done away with as well. This is where Rob and I uh, take a much different stand than most of Christendom, and that is, I don't believe that the Levitical priesthood has been done away with. In fact, I think if you look in uh, Ezekiel, at the end of Ezekiel, there is a temple. The, pr the prince is in the, uh, is in the temple. He's acting as the high priest, right? Um, this, and we see this also like in uh, the end of uh, Zechariah 14, right? They go up to the temple to celebrate Sukkot, which, invo which involves uh, sacrifices. Ezekiel says that there will be uh, sin sacrifices done again, right? So 
I don't think that the Levitical priesthood has been done away with. Most uh, Christians take this from their uh, reading of the book of Hebrews. However, I believe that the book of Hebrews is talking about the high priesthood and how Yeshua is the high priest. There's a lot that goes into this. My father wrote a wonderful commentary on the book of Hebrews, which explains a lot of this and I think uh, is is well done. And, and you can go look at this. The word covenant in, in a lot of the text of the of the Hebrews passages in 8 and 9 is, is supplied for you by your translators. It's not actually there. And so I think if read in context, it can be argued very well by many people, including my father, that uh, the text is actually talking about the high priesthood and how Yeshua is the high priest that goes into the heavenly temple. Now, some might argue, well, clearly it says that the priesthood is passing away or the high priesthood at least is passing away in the, in the texts of Hebrews. If we take that view, which I'm still not, I'm still not uh, going to take that view. I think that the text is actually saying something else. Uh, but if we take the view that the high priesthood is passing away, then what? Then we could argue that th that what is being said is that Yeshua will be the high priest in the coming temple, and we see this especially if we accept that the prince in the in the Ezekiel passage is in fact Yeshua. So he takes the place of the high priest, and that means that the high priest is still the function of the high priest is still there. It's just done by Yeshua, right? So. It's not that the that the priesthood has is no more. It's that the true high priest actually takes his position as the high priest. Now, I said if you take that position, I don't take that position. Uh, I take the position that whatever was happening when the book of Hebrews was being written, the priesthood was actually coming to an end. Whether or not the book of Hebrews is written before or after the destruction of the temple, I think the writer of the Hebrews is seeing that the end of that physical priesthood is eminent because the temple is going away. Yeah, and, and it's the same. Remember that God told his prophets that the Solomon's temple would be destroyed. You know, I mean, and, exactly. and we know that. Jeremiah prophesied about the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant, while Solomon's temple was still standing. Right. I mean, that Jeremiah 31 was written with, by from a prophet who knew that the existing structure was passing away. And he wanted to encourage his people. And he knew that there was going to be the exile. Well, right. it's this. Why is it different now? You know, <laughs> why is it different? Well, because we need know, to get rid of the Torah to fit our especially, theology. <laughs> you go to Daniel and you see Daniel is... Uh, in exile, but he's praying during the time of the, there's no temple, but he's praying at the time of the sacrifice. So he's, his, his life is still informed. He's still praying, aiming towards Jerusalem when he's praying. Why, why, why not go back in time and say, Daniel, tap him on the shoulder, dude, dude, right. There's nothing there. Right. Dude, why are you praying right now? There's no pre, why are you imagining this temple it's not there they're they're not doing sacrifices right now you know so yeah yeah when 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 daniel and all those guys in babylon are exactly when they're when when there's no temple they didn't say well there's no temple here right now which means therefore the tour is done away the, the whole tour is done away with <laughs> yeah that's it's, it's yeah. such it's well here it is caleb i think it comes back to 
it's laughable, Ignor- isn't it? Though ignorance of, but it's ignorance. Of, and I wasn't taught it either as as a kid. I wasn't taught covenant. Right. I, I wasn't taught that God. Yes, I was taught He was a Creator and all these wonderful things. I was taught to read Scripture and to memorize Scripture, a lot of good things, but I wasn't. I wasn't given the the college level. Here's the skinny. This is what it means to belong. Is it college to level though? It's covenantly defined, and that God upholds the covenant, and He doesn't change. And and it's through His promise to Abraham that there is even blessing and light in the world. And and it's it, it, that this is crucial, and that it's more real. The blessings of and His covenant faithfulness to the Abrahamic covenant is more real than the physical universe itself. Right? It's just as real as creation, even though we can't see it with our eyes, because you, you it's by faith we see, we see by with the eyes of faith. But I wasn't taught that, right? I mean, I, and so uh it I had to learn, I had to understand that, but I didn't understand it apart from just doing what we were talking about with the tefillin, is prioritizing the word of God, learning to think biblically more and more, encountering crazy teachers with crazy ideas that I didn't know if they were true or not. This guy says, oh, Hebrew mystery letters, you know, or this guy, um, blood moons, you know, lost tribes of Israel, sacred name, all this kind of stuff, lunar Sabbath. And it's like, man, it's like, I felt like a salmon trying to swim upstream. Like, it's like, I'm never going to understand this stuff because the world, Michael Rood, you know, the world's going to end in, in 1999, like all these things. But, you know, I think for me, God, you know, he saw me through those things, through the foolishness, through being zealous for the wrong thing. And I am so thankful for that path, even though it, really sucked <laughs> well so so what you're talking and still today there's still teachers that should just but, shut up <laughs> but you're yeah but what you're talking what you're talking about i think we all go through in some way shape or form right i mean look somebody made a comment the other day and it was it was a very odd comment but somebody made a comment like oh yeah here we are you know you don't wear a keep anymore rob's got long hair you should come revisit this topic and it was like flat earth or something i was like what in the world does my keep and rob's long hair have to do with that but the, the, yeah, the the point here the point here is simply this. I, I I certainly can look at my own journey and my own you know my own faith and look at the things that I have believed and the things that I no longer practice or the things I no longer believe. Now I will say that I think that my the core beliefs that I have always had had are still there. Right. I I still think that my the structure that was given to me, the foundation that was given to me is still the foundation that I'm, that I'm resting on today. There are, there are certain things that have changed. There's no doubt about it. And I think anybody can watch through our episodes from day one until now and say, yeah, there's, there has been, um, a a lot of, a a lot of change, but it's not, it's not the core issues, but, but here's the thing is that I can look at, I look at the covenants now and it, it, I believe that they're all harmonious and the more I, I look at standard Christian doctrine and the things that are that people are holding on to so vigorously, it's I, I don't 
I look at it and I just, I, I think, man, people are really, really holding on to things. Like they're, they're not willing to step back and say, man, has Christianity gotten something wrong? Which is interesting because throughout history, Christianity has continued to get things wrong, right? The whole Reformation comes out of the idea that, that Christianity had something drastically wrong, right? And, and the church continues to reform. And yet so many people are just clutching with everything that they got, the notion that, oh, the Sabbath, you know, kosher laws and the festivals, those have been done away with, you know, and then they want to slap on this label of all of Torah. It, it, it is asinine, especially when you see, I mean, if Dave, if King David was around today, people would say that guy is a legalist who, you know, he's, he's focusing too much on the Torah. He needs to be focusing more on Christ, Right. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people in the Hebrew roots movement that have that I think that they've they've missed the forest for the trees, right? They, they're it's they're in a weird place. Well, there's a lot of fat. There's fadism. Is that right. a word? Fadism. Yes. There's like, yep. and that's what I was saying. Like for me, the main fads that came my way, but I didn't know they were fads. Right. The the uh, the what are they called? The Israelite people. Uh, What's it? The Ephraim, the gal, Wooten, Wooten. Yeah. I think it's called ba- Wooten. Bacha Wooten, yeah. Yeah, back in the 90s for me. Um, then there was, oh, you know, the uh, rabbis teaching Hebrew letter mysticism or, you know, the mysteries of the Hebrew alphabet or Paleo-Hebrew. It's actually, you have to learn Paleo-Hebrew because it's really little stickman cave cartoons that you have to interpret. Right. Um, and, oh, you have to know how to pronounce the name of God. So there were all these things and, and the Shabbat, you know, that it, and then it ended up people, actually, I knew people that really taught the lunar Sabbath and they thought I was a, a heretic because I didn't uh, read it the way they read it. So these are things that I think are, now I see them as fads where people right. get really zealous for something, but it's, it's like, having a car with a big, strong engine, big, fast, you know, and you're just accelerating and they're really loving how fast they're going, but they're, they don't know where they don't know the territory. They don't know they're headed for a cliff. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you, but we can't just pick on the Hebrew roots and the messianic movement in this. Look, I went to a Presbyterian church for a year and there are, I say this every time I bring this up because I don't want people to think that, that there weren't just wonderful believers at that church. And there were, and I, and I miss those people and I love those people dearly. But there, there was a group of people at that church that held to, uh oh, yeah, uh, that held to um, what I would consider like it's it's the same as the Hebrew roots movement. Like, well, our theology is better than you. Like, we, my theology is better than yours. Like, I have it one hundred percent right, and like you don't. And it was they were hanging their hats on stuff like infant baptism and you know like the sacraments and stuff like this and it's like okay man like I'm not even going to try to to because this is so ingrained in like your in what you believe it's not even worth trying to have a debate. And so there is this level of Christianity yeah, you know and people make fun of the presbyterians for believing that they have the 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 superior theology and whatnot. Man, I, I saw that at that church among some people, not, not all, but there were some people who was just like, man, you are really, really like, it's, it's like the blinders that the Hebrew roots movement has, right? It's like, I'm right. I've got it 100% right. I'm not listening to anybody. It's like, okay, whatever. 
Let's go. Uh, let's let's move. Let's move to uh, one last thing. We got one last thing. CJ wrote in and he says, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for thoughtful, your thoughtful answers. In the uh, in the episode 437, one of you, when discussing Prairie Girl's comment, mentions she is waiting in the kiddie pool when she mentions Yahweh. That was Rob. And he says, can you elaborate on that comment? What it uh, Was it because she was full of contradictions and then mentions Yahweh or another reason? Okay, so Rob and I, Agree yet disagree on this, and I'll tell you why. The idea of using the name of God and saying Yahweh is shows that there is a, um, well, I'll let Rob explain that, but here's, here's where I'm going to disagree with Rob. I'll tell you my disagreement with Rob on this. I don't think that it's, that we should say waiting in the kiddie pool, and the reason why is because you have an agreement amongst scholarship that the term Yahweh will be is is okay to use. So, for instance, if you read someone like Daniel Block, he's going to use the term Yahweh. Block is not. No, a, I don't think he does. In I, in in, his, in the brand new Jets article just that just came out last week, uh-oh, he uses he uses Yod Hey or, or Y H W H throughout his entire article. And then you go 20, 30 pages down, and you see John Oswalt's article. Okay, and he's. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. So even in the evangel, uh, the what is it, the e- ETS, Evangelical Theological Society, you have t- you have big name Old Testament scholars that are not united on this topic. I, I agree with what you're saying. However, you would not say that Oswald is is waiting in the kiddie pool, would you? When it comes to yeah, yeah, I would. Here's why: because of the very, I think I texted you the picture. All the he's talking. He talks about all the this stuff about the Torah and holiness, and then he says, "Well, none of these things apply. These are just object lessons that are done away from." And all we need to do is, and he quotes Matthew fifteen and Acts ten as a reason. And to me, what what he just did, he just showed that he that he's still in. A kind of spiritual kindergarten. I, okay, opinion. so I, I I agree with I agree with you that he's wrong. Whereas I don't I don't think I don't think uh, Daniel Block would make that same statement that John Oswald did. But my point is is that among many scholars, the term Yahweh is still used, and we wouldn't say that they're waiting in the kiddie pool. What we would say is that they're using that term many times, knowing that it's not what the the Hebrew actually is, but it's an accepted term. And so to use the term Yahweh, oftentimes... Why is doesn't it mean accepted? I, you and I agree on this, and we can talk about that, but the point is, is okay. that you can't I, just I'll say, say that... I'll say, you know be, what, maybe waiting in the kiddie pool. What were the... I'd have to go back and read the email. The I, but, my, but, but my point is this. Because you have people in the pews, you have people in the scholarly world that are using the term Yahweh. And so you can't just say anybody who's sitting in the pew, pews who uses the I would term agree Yahweh. With that. I would agree with that. But I don't think that's I, that was not the only reason why I said waiting in the kiddie pool. Fair. I Fair. think there was a cluster <laughs> yes. of, of flags that came up. Right. And now, again, we don't unless you have it handy, we could read it again and go over it. I could be wrong, but. My, my memory is that there was a cluster of flags that together showed me Agreed. this person is not thinking really deeply and I'm, cons- you know, they need different teachers in their life. You ha- in, okay, let's, let's just, let's just go over this real quick. For, for those who want to know, the, the term, the, the sacred name of God does not have, the scribes do not uh, use vowels with it. So there's all this uh, disagreement among 
uh, well, well, Yeshua Scal- didn't. No, the apostles they said they said Kurios or Lord right. or and, Maranatha, whereas it's just Mara. It's Aramaic. They they, they and we're so, not above them. <laughs> we're I, I not above the slaves. Not agree. above his master. But the the point is, is that we don't know how to pronounce the name. And so when someone uses a a, a, a name like Yahweh, one of three things is happening. Okay. Number one, they are using an agreed upon substitute, for instance, in the scholarly world where they use Yahweh and they're just going to use it for ease of use. Okay. That's, that's one possibility. A second possibility is that they are actively trying to deceive the people that they're talking to, like Nehemiah Gordon, who knows better and knows that that is not how you pronounce the name and knows all the arguments. But he pushes, uh, like, yeah. He pushes a different one, but that, that's not the point. He's Yahav, he's pushing Yahawar, he's he's pushing Yahawar, something Yahawar, because he he needs to make a buck, and that's what he's doing. He all he's he trying to do buck. <laughs> all he's trying to do all he's trying to do is maintain his paycheck. He's he he knows better. He knows that, and we've confronted him on it. And he's not he he's not going to back down because he needs his paycheck. Number three is that someone's Maybe ignorant. the Lord will grant him repentance that leads to life. That that we pray for. Uh, number three is that a person is ignorant and doesn't realize that there is a huge uh, amount of of work that has been done to show that this that there that we don't know the pronunciation of the name, and so um, those are your three. Those but, are your okay, three let's options. Okay, let's say let's say we did. Do we okay. still follow Yeshua and the the apostles? Yes. <laughs> or do we innovate? Or do we think, you know what? I know Yeshua didn't do this. It's the same. It, here's the same thing. It's like messianic quote rabbis. There's no such thing in the body right. of, there's one rabbi in the body of Messiah and it's Yeshua. But yet you have a whole institutions, like big buck, multiple worldwide organizations that promote this idea of a rabbi who is a disciple of Yeshua, and they want to be called rabbi. It's the same thing. It's like picking something. It's innovating. It's taking something from somewhere else and saying, you know what? I know it's against the the gospels. I know it's against what's what's in the New Testament. But yet, I'm I know something extra. I have knowledge that gives me privilege or um, exemption from the Word of God. So I can call myself rabbi and I can say Yahweh or Yehovah or, or Yahawah or whatever these other ones, because I have special knowledge that make, that exempts me from the constraints of the text itself. And to me, those, those are people who do not have, they do not have a high view of scripture. They do, they do not have a high view of scripture. And so that allows them to then say, oh, well, we have scripture, but we also have this other, these other sources of knowledge. And these other sources of knowledge are on the same par. And so we can then build new religion based on that. And I'm not advocating the destruction of other sources of knowledge. I'm just saying they're not scripture. If you want to read the Talmud, read the Talmud. But it's under the category of humanities and history, right? It's not sacred uh, scripture. It's not Bible. But you can't. But if you can't be an Orthodox Jew and and maintain that distinction because if you're really unless you're just a hypocrite, but you the whole point of of 
the rabbinic enterprise is that there are two Torahs given to Moses. They're both equal in sanctity. One is written, one is oral, and you access, how do you have access to the oral tradition? You become a disciple of the rabbis, which means Mishnah, Talmud, et cetera, et cetera. And if, if you go, it's ultra-Orthodox and you look into the Kabbalists, they include the Zohar as holy, they call it the the, the holy Zohar. They call it holy. And so, you know, we have to understand this larger context. You know, it, it this is real stuff. You know, there are real Jews that believe the Zohar is scripture. Yeah. So, I, I, so, so wait, hang on just a sec. We need, I, I, we, we have to, we have to uh, address exactly what you're saying here because Actually, uh, uh, Andrew says, I grew up a charismatic hyper-dispensational Unitarian. I'm now none of those things. My work in this area is not motivated by tradition. Claiming to know motivation doesn't refute what someone says. I agree with you. I I, I do agree with Andrew on this. I, motivation trans, is... Trans, translate that for me. I'm not I, sure I caught that. Well, I think, I think the idea... You know, we've gone on... We've talked about two things. Number one, those who are in the Christian church who believe the standard view of Christendom and what the motivation might be or the motivation of using a name. I agree with you that uh, motivation shouldn't necessarily be what we're talking about. However, I think that there are really only three, uh, and I could be wrong about this. There might be more, but when we talk about using the sacred name, there's usually only three uh, choices. There is what we've already stated. Now, with that said, um, let's move to the uh, the question that Love is Bigger says. Zonervan uses W. Why does they use W? Maybe she says, maybe as teachers, you should tell the crowd why they use W instead of V in Yodhevave. The, the answer to this is simply the the, the uh, evolution of language and that the uh, that Hebrew used to, it's believed that Hebrew had a W sound in it and that the Vav was a wow and changed to a vav. And so the traditional, and I took Hebrew from, um, from Garrett at Southern Baptist. Garrett uh, teaches the, what is considered to be the ancient pronunciation of Hebrew. So all of the Hebrew that I learned at Southern was with the, the vav as a W sound. Now, there's other people at Southern who teach what they consider to be modern Hebrew, pronunciation, which changes that W to a V sound. So uh, I took Hebrew also from Oseland, uh, Dr. Oseland, and Dr. Oseland has a modern pronunciation, which is interesting to see the, the, the two pronunciations at the same school, or different pronunciations at the same school. Um, nonetheless, the only reason that you have a W by some is because they would argue that the original pronunciation of the name of, which they're going to say is maybe yod hey W hey or yod hey vav hey is because of that change from ancient or traditional Hebrew pronunciation to what is known today as modern Hebrew pronunciation. Um, did I do a fair job at explaining that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one thing we don't have is the Dead Sea Scroll CDs, the Dead Sea exactly. CDs, yeah, yeah. where you have recordings. All we have is, you know, we have the ancient transliterations. We have like Greek. Um, and you know, the name David, I did a Rob on the rock video this a couple of years ago, but like the name David is Dalit Vav or wow Dalit. That's why you hear Dao, uh, Daud 
is the Dawid is the Arabic way of saying uh, David and that's, because and Arabic that's how, still has the uses the wa. But if you look at ancient Greek transliterations, sometimes it's spelled Delta Alpha Upsilon Yoda Delta Dawid. Sometimes they spell it Delta Alpha Beta Yoda uh, or Yoda Delta, which would be something like David David. David, David. So they think that the the beta could have a soft B kind of a V. Just like in Hebrew, we have a bet that has a dagesh, B, and we have a, a bet that uh, uh, has no dagesh, which is we so, say is a V sound. So Ruski Bear, Ruski Bear, and, and by the way, at uh, Garrett, in, in when I took Hebrew from Garrett, he said David. That's how he pronounced D David, and that always that always screwed me up. What's he talking about? Um, Ruski Bear says. So how did the W replace the va the V? It's the other way around. The V replaced the W, and the way that that happened is the same way that you have a a shifting uh, from an a uh, I sound in uh, Greek to a J sound in English. Right, it was a it was a final form of an I with the lower J, which started to be pronounced differently. It's just a evolution of a language. And but Rob's right. The question is, is was it actually a W sound? So yeah, I, there, and, and there's we, argument just, all there's, over. There's about uncertainties this. with, and you know they've done the same thing with you know we have this when we're teaching Koine Greek. There's different schools of thought as how the consonants and vowels are, are to be taught. And then they muster different kinds of ancient evidence to try to say, actually, it probably sounded like this rather than that. And, and we got to teach our students. And, um, but even in mod, I mean, you mentioned modern Hebrew, even today you have broadly speaking, the difference between like Eastern and Ashkenazi pronunciations of, right. of Hebrew. Yeah. And, and they don't sound the same. That's why when you, sometimes if you buy during Pesach, you know, you buy uh, matzos, right? Well, yeah, exactly. It says matzos yeah. with an O-S or, or Shabbos. Candle. Shab like yeah, exactly. You buy Sabbath candles and it says Shabbos and it ends with O-S. Why does it end in O-S? Why does mitzvos in, in like, if you, you have an art scroll, it's the mitzvos instead of mitzvot. And they're doing the same that. thing. They pronounce a, whenever you have a tav without a dagesh, it's an S sound. So, but it, it, if when, you went to a Sephardic community or Mizrahi, they're not they're not going to use an S sound. Well, well, okay, yes and no though, because like for instance, in the old city of Jerusalem on Shabbat, right, when you pass people, it doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't matter. They some people will like some people are going to say Shabbat, other people are going to say Shabbos. But when you pass someone on the street. It doesn't matter what they are. Instead of saying Shabbat Shalom, everybody just says Shabbos, right? That's uh, that's the that's the interchange. To say Shabbat Shalom, you just shorten to Shabbos. That's it. You don't say Shabbat Shalom. You don't say Shabbos Shalom. You just say Shabbos, right? And every that's what everybody says. So even amongst and that's the, the that's the Ashkenazi, you know, and that's a Yiddish ification uh, kind of. But yeah, right. so I mean, so. Often, it's not necessarily historical academic uh, facts that differentiate pronunciation. Sometimes it's just like what kind of tefillin do you wear? 
Yeah. Do you wear the what is it the the Rashi's and then Who, the yeah. who's circumcised palms, you? Which has a different. Some Jews wear you know they wear one tefillin and then they change tefillin so that they can fulfill two different uh, sectarian <laughs> things. Right, the Rabbeinu Tom is a different way of tefillin. Oh, so Lord, in the uh, same way, or or one I like to remember is in Safed. You know, if you go up to Safed, there's two Isaac Luria. You know, he was the big Kabbalist in the 16th century Safed. There's there's an Ashkenazi synagogue that's the Luria synagogue, and there's a Sephardic, and they each claim <laughs> like we're the original, you know, we're, we're the, the real one, you know. We're doing they claim it right, the guy for their set for their and, version, and they all want to fight each other. Ah, those okay, guys so, over there don't so, know what they're talking about. So, but the idea is so sometimes the way language is pronounced is to preserve identity, right? That's yeah. like why do you spell in Canada they spell color C O L O U R. Or mom, or, M-U-M, mum. Yeah, we're in, in, in the United States, it's C-O-L-O-R. And there's things like this, but sometimes pronunciation difference is deliberate to preserve difference. We are not the same as you. And we see that in the, in the remember in the book of Judges, the whole say Shibboleth, and, and they just say Sibboleth. They, they actually, in that case, you have the Ephraimites, I don't remember what chapter it's in. It's in Judges, right? They're saying, well, say say this word, Shibboleth. And then they say Sibboleth. And then they know that they're they're really, it's like with where I live, Spokane. They say, if someone will say, oh, like he, a comedian, oh, it's so good to be here in Spokane. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? Or, Everybody or knows he's not. Yeah. They're saying, it's so great to be in Tacoma. You'd or, be like, okay, this dude the, didn't the, even the, bother. Like The best one is Puyallup. It, to hear anyone who doesn't live here try to say Puyallup when they're reading it is, it, it, yeah, I, I'm with you. All right. So, so there's there that is a, a dialectical issue, um, and and we know if you just travel across America, you're going to hear different dialects of of English, and if you learn to listen, you're going to be able to tell. And and that's the same thing. We have to have that same flexibility when we're reading, when we understand ancient Hebrew or ancient Greek. Okay, we're way over time. It wasn't as bad of a show as I thought it was going to be. Um, we're going to cut it there. And uh, yeah, send us your comments, your questions, whatever. See how resource.com or your complaints, whatever. Call uh, our complaint line. 253 465 That's right. There's the complaint line right there. Don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. I know it's weird, but it really does help us. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why. Because Messiah matters. 